Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the One Step Better podcast. I'm your host, Mike Schaefer, and with me, as always, here is Matt Patrick. So thank you guys for for tuning in this week. We're really excited to talk about something that is uh, probably going to be pertinent for everybody that runs or participates or is involved in a small business in some way. So we're going to get into some of the pitfalls that we see on a daily basis. But before we do that, we always have our question of the week that we want to answer. And, uh, you know, for the past few weeks, it's always been like, what's your favorite purchase? You know, what's something that you really enjoy doing? What's your, you know, vacation spot? This week, we're going to take a different, um, we're going to take a different route. We're not staying on the surface level anymore. So uh, Miss Becky here has given us a question to, to really dig into something a little bit deeper than that. I read the question for the first time when I got up here to, to record this, and it was like, oh, man, we're, uh, we got we got to really talk about some serious stuff yeah. here for a second. Yeah, so question of the week, uh, Matt, describe an experience in your life that has changed your values. Yeah, this is a super hard one. I appreciate it. I didn't get my Bible out. Um, so I was involved in a business with my dad that wasn't successful. And uh, I think I went into it for all the right reasons. I did my due diligence. I, you know, using my faith as an example, I prayed on it and I asked all the right people and it still didn't work out. And it rocked me to the core. It was one of those things where, you know, it made me question my faith a little bit. It made me question my decision-making processes. I put my parents in a very difficult situation. I put my family in a difficult situation. I went, I still don't think I would have done anything differently if I knew the same set of facts. And um, it took me a long time to get over that. Um, it did allow me to get some perspective on the long in the long term to, hey, let's do what you know best and let's not, you know, chase some things that probably shouldn't be chased. But it was a business that I thought would be very successful. My dad had every opportunity to run it well did everything he could and we worked our butts off to make it successful but we just we weren't gonna it wasn't gonna go and after about only two years we had to file bankruptcy on it so it was one of those things that was really hard um i was young i was mid-30s at the time and um it is uh still a scar that comes up in my decision making processes from time to time today yeah that was that was how long ago oh seven oh seven okay so about 15 years or so mm-hmm. yeah i didn't i thought it was a little bit further further along than that nope <laughs> yeah that uh i had a, a two-year-old and a newborn and going through bankruptcy was not a lot of fun not a, yeah that's a you know what there's in our in our conversation today i bet we can we can draw on some of that uh-huh. experience talk about some, some small business issues because um, I, I know that that's there's a lot of learning that comes out of that it was a lot of learning and it, and it really did help me um I, it actually improved my empathy you know we have clients that have gone through this before. Like they make the right decision based on the information they were given and stuff doesn't work out. I mean, these are all businesses that we have a risk I and mean, there's a risk yeah. involved in owning a business. Um, and I had never failed at really anything in my life before then. I mean, I had, you know, bumps and bruises and that kind of stuff, but never like anything majorly catastrophe happened. And it was definitely something that rocked me to my core. There was a, uh, a study done talking about the the mental effects of bankruptcy. And I forget, I, I, I wish I could cite it because I, I don't remember who who did it, but uh, essentially saying that bankruptcy is going through a bankruptcy uh, is has the same mental effect uh, and long term effect on people as um, loss of loved ones, divorce, like big catastrophic events uh, I can in see your that. life. It was very depressing and debilitating yeah. for. I probably was. I'd say still, you know, pretty heavily depressed, tied to it for almost two or three years. Yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I really put my parents' um, retirement nest egg on the on the on the line, not because they they decided, but I I kind of I feel like I I was influenced in. My dad had, had a heart attack, so we looked at a business to buy. I was trying to find him. It was all for good reasons, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's and, always a fun story. And I don't story. know, what we, and I look back and I don't know what I could do differently <laughs> other than not do it. I mean, at the same time, I was like, this is, you know, all the math said it was going to be good. That's, that's, that's the interesting one. The same set of facts, I think I would have done it again. That's the part that's uh, That's the part that's hard. That's scary, you know, yeah. I don't know if I would have decided differently if the, present, if the facts were presented to me the same way. I would have probably said yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, we'll it's put like a little earmark on that. getting married. I, you know, I can't go back. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, you know, Experience in my life that changed my values um, is is all faith related for me. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a in a, a family that was very loving and caring, and we had a lot of fun. But there wasn't a lot of, I'll say, moral stability uh, in that family and or in my family growing up. And when I was in middle school, um, my mom thought it would be a good idea for me and my sister to be involved in church, and so we started going to church. And in that process, learning uh, a lot about life and and growing up a little bit. Um, realized some truths about my life that uh, you know that I was I was not a good person and that I had some <laughs> issues and that the only person that could pay for the sin of my life was Jesus and then I had to put my faith and trust in Him and uh, did that in <clears throat> uh, uh, late middle school um, early high school and uh, I mean that was a that was a big game changer from for my life completely um, direction of of where I was heading. How I thought, what I thought about, all that type of stuff was, was very different. And uh, I could say, you know, that was some 25 years ago now, which is crazy to think I'm, I'm getting that old. <laughs> you say I'm a baby. You're a baby. I think 25 years said, ago. I was in middle school 25 years ago. I'm like, I was in college 25 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I was in middle. I was I was coming out of middle school 20, but that was 20. I mean, 25 years ago. That's forever yeah, ago. That's awesome. Uh, and so that I mean that was a that was a big uh, life changing event in my life and. Uh, I, I look at that as a big hallmark of where I am today, and um, it's, uh, it's all good. All right, so that's going to lead us back into our conversation today. And that, uh, what we're going to talk about today is common issues, some of the, I'll say the FAQs, if you will, uh, some of the stuff that we hear about from other small business leaders that are trying to operate their company. Uh, and we're going to talk about this, everything from the pers- perspective of if I'm starting a new business, what are some things I need to think about and be concerned about as my business gets off the ground, and, or um, even from the standpoint of maybe it's a mature or established business that's growing, or maybe it's not growing. We're just going to talk about all things small businesses and, and try to, uh, to come up with some things that are hopefully nuggets of wisdom based on some experience that we have in, in working with small business owners, owning and leading a small business, um, and hopefully able to provide some, some content that's going to be helpful and useful for people. So, yep. Matt, you got, you've been doing the small business thing. You talked about failure of a small business. Uh, here at Patrick Accounting and Works, we're pretty successful in, in what we've been able to accomplish over the past 15 or so years. Um, you've seen both sides of the equation of yeah. failure and success. Which do you prefer? I, I, it's a tough choice. Um, no, I mean, this is our 18th year. Um, I think back to the very beginning, I was very lucky enough to kind of um, have a steady stream of income in the very beginning i kind of it was luck a lot of luck more than skill um i see other businesses that we support now though that are still struggling with it so a thing like new businesses in particular here that starting off that don't have a a sound kind of parameters 
that they're working by yet. Now, depending on the business they're in, if they're a restaurant, they're serving food. If they're a dentist, they're, you know, working on teeth. It becomes easy to determine what you're selling at that point. But we all have other businesses that we serve that, you know, depending on what they're doing, if they're a landscaper, they're also building fences and painting houses and uh, I'll decide to do a remodel of the bathroom. I'm like, hey, you're you're a landscaper. What are you doing? Chasing all kinds of stuff. Correct. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. I always think that it's interesting whenever I get calls and, and have conversations with, uh, it's probably more on the potential client side, that they're trying to get up and running new business stuff where I don't know what I want to do, but I know that I want to be my own boss or want to own my own business. And that to me is always a bit of a red flag because – one of the things that I think makes a successful business successful is the passion behind it. If you don't know what you want to do or why you want to do it, you need some to spend some time figuring that part out before you just jump into, hey, you know what? There's a business in a box that I'm going to go open up. I heard this franchise is is blowing and going, so I'm going to go open this yep. um, this thing up on the corner here. And there's no real passion behind it other than I want to be my own boss you're not going to be able to sustain that long-term it's in hard. my experience. It's hard. I mean, I mean, if you're thinking of it truly as an investment that you're trying to build a business and you don't care what the widget is, you have to really put that into your mindset of I'm building this widget business. Um, if I am a small business owner and I'm building a, buying a cake shop or a, you know, a sub shop or whatever, a pizza shop, whatever it may be, I have to be, I have to believe in the product. I have to believe in the team I'm, buying into the support I'm going to get from the franchisor. Um, I need to make sure that I, you know, that the model itself works, that they don't make rash decisions. And, you know, what am I buying into? Franchising is very hard. Um, if you're opening a dentist office, though, it's, you know, it's, it's just as hard because you're like, okay, I have to hire an employee. I have to figure out who are we going to be a pediatric dentist? Are we going to be a adult dentist? Are we going to be high scale, low scale? You know, you know, are we doing, upper upper class dentistry where we're doing you know concierge type work all that kind of stuff matters yeah but on some level i, I feel like if you're you know a dentist or, or a doc getting into that world at some point you've kind of found your passion in the 800 years of medical school that you have you probably gone through could have to where you know what you're going to specialize in and then you just have to add on the i'll say the business acumen piece of of, of running a business I just find it extremely difficult to wake up in the morning and go to work if, especially if I own the place or run the place, and I don't really care about what's happening. If I don't right. have some type of connection to the actual story that, that this mm -hmm. business is, is participating in, it's difficult. I see a lot of that with like second generation businesses. The, yeah. The, you know, mom and dad had a business and the kids took it over and they don't really love it. It's just always been a part of their life. Um, they didn't know what else to do. They didn't know where else to go. They didn't feel like they had any place to go. They lose a lot of that passion. You have a lot of dilution of passion as those generations happen. Um, likewise, I think, you know, anytime you're um, kind of looking for a job, be it the job that I'm just working for myself as opposed to I'm creating a business that I really love and are passionate about, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show really fast. Yeah, I think about, you know, a couple, we've had a couple of different uh, business owners on our podcast here. I, I think back to two of them specifically. We talked to DJ at, at uh, Celtic Crossing, which is a, a local Irish pub here in the Memphis area, and passion oozes out of that guy. Mm -hmm. You can't talk to him for more than five minutes without actually experiencing his passion about. for what he's doing. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, not, it's not, hey, I run a restaurant. It's the people behind the, the restaurant. 
both on the employee side, but even his regular the customers that are coming he's selling, in. How he, you know, the you know the whiskeys he sells yeah. and the beer he serves and the food he has and the passion for making that a great experience for you. It's, it comes out of him everywhere. I also think about um, Alex Brandwine, who's, yeah. who he came on and told his story a few months ago, who is, I mean, kind of a Wall Street kid who has some some education behind him. And he decided he wanted to do his own thing and he liked bagels. And so he said, hey, we're going to go open up Brandwine Bagels over in uh, the Raleigh-Durham era, uh, area of North Carolina and has been killing it. And, yep. and, and it's, man, that passion... Passion so, so far exceeds the ability to get stuff done for a lot of people that mm-hmm. are driven. They'll figure out the rest of the stuff. You give them that, it's like a dog on a bone. They're not going to let go. They're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking to start a business, you got to find something that you're passionate about or you're going to flake out because hard times are going to come. It's going to get difficult. We're going to talk about some of those things. Um, but that passion can can keep that fuel going uh, yep. to, to keep you And that's why I think it's in. one of our values. I mean, one of our core values is yep. passion for our purpose. And you have to believe in what we're doing in order to make this job not be a job. You know, it has to be a part of your ingrained, you know, ingrained innate abilities to want to do the work is I want to help small businesses succeed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Because it, 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 it means a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps you want to stay stay plugged in. You know, one of the one of the things that we always hear about from a lot of small business owners and leaders is that their employees are a source of frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have good people, everything in life is good, and when mm-hmm. you have bad people, everything in life is bad. Um, when, whenever you are looking to bring new people onto the team, how important is it that they actually fit into what you're doing and in, in the culture that you're doing? The not just the competency, but just the, I like you and you like me and we could go hang out type of a fit. I would say it's like 99 to one that it's more important that they're a fit than their ability to do the work. I've already determined if they do the work already, but their ability to learn, um, we're going to find that out pretty quick. Um, our work is not like we're trying to, you know, cure cancer here. It's just, it is work that, um, that can be trained. Uh, however, you have to have the passion for what we're doing. Um, the technical work that we have to do is something that if you care about what we're doing and you are a teachable and you can interact with people the right way, you'll be successful here. The employee issues that pop up in any given day, um, how quick are you to address those when it it's not necessarily performance related, like I'm not being able to get my work done, but I'll say character type issues, whether it's, hey, you know what, you're gossiping and you don't need to be, or uh, maybe you stole a paperclip, or not like big, big issues, but just those little things that nag on you from from time to time. How quick are you to to address those? I'm probably not the best example here. Um, I probably don't address those quick enough, but it is something, you know, if if a corrective action needs to happen, we want to address it as early and as frequently as we need to to correct it right away. Um, if it's an issue that's an issue that needs to get corrected, we want to, you know, kind of jump on it. Don't let it fester because it's only going to get worse. It's going to get better. And also it can spread a little bit like a virus. And so I want to make sure that we nip that stuff in the bud. Um, I probably, if it's a values issue or if it is a um, dysfunctional team type issue, we're going to address it really fast. But if it's just an annoying habit, like you're showing up 30 minutes late to work every day, then we probably 
don't address that as early as we should. I think that it's funny that you said, like, showing up to work late 30 minutes every day is an annoying habit instead of a performance-related issue. Yeah, because the work, I will know that. I don't know if it's a performance issue because the work's getting done or not getting done. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, it depends on the role. I'm going to start to show up to work like an hour a day. I'm going to push this. I want to see. You may beat me in. So one hour, know. two but, hours, three hours. But if your work's not getting done, we'll know. <laughs> Did Mike show up to work today? Where's he been? I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, that's why I look, I look at it as I only care about the result. So if the work is getting done and you're not here on time, it doesn't – I don't look at your time as the, the as the KPI. I look at the result of the work. So if you're able to get your work done – in six hours or seven hours as opposed to eight hours and you're a salaried employee, I don't really care. Yeah. I should say that out loud, but that's the truth. <laughs> what if you're an hourly employee? Do you care then? I, if I'm going to pay you, I do. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to have to fill you up with more work, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a me problem, not a you problem then. <laughs> that's funny. What kind of issues have you, have you seen over the years with, you know, you've worked with a lot of small businesses. What are some of the issues that pop up from time to time? Yeah, it's usually, it, I start with employees. You know, it's when to hire. Um, or I've hired the wrong person. How do I correct their behavior? Am I compensating them fairly? Can I afford them? Um, are they acting like an adult or a child? Um, and so am I having to treat them like an adult and, and have them get their work done? Or am I having to treat this person like a child? Like they're not showing up to work on time. They look like a slob when they show up. And they're not behaving the way you'd want your employees to behave. Those things happen with every, every person that has employees. If you have people around you, it's going to happen that way. But um, it, it usually starts with employees. That's the first questions we really get a lot of. The second one really, probably their 1A and 1B is cash flow. So can I afford to invest more in marketing? Can I invest in this piece of equipment? Can I hire the next person? Um, I want to be more profitable, but I also need to invest in the future too. So there's a balance between current ability to make money and investments into our growth. The... One of the things that I would encourage small business leaders to to figure out is where do you want to grow to? If you know, if you're perfectly content being a solopreneur and and you're the you're the you're the person doing the work and and making making it rain and and everything is golden in your world and you're content with that, that's perfectly fine. But if you don't want to be that forever and you want to grow into something different, you have to really start to peel back the layers of what you're good at and what you need to focus your time on. And what you need to find other people to do. And that's not necessarily only true for a small business that's getting started. But if you've been around for 20 years and now you've grown something, even like we talk about this on an ongoing basis, you know, we have, you know, 30 plus people on our team now. We've been around for going on 20 years almost. And uh, we still talk about, all right, Matt, you're doing this and you shouldn't be doing that anymore. We need to find, we talked about this and ultimately, you know, we have a new IT company because of this very reason. Um, you're doing work that you shouldn't be doing. Your goal isn't to be a solopreneur, but actually build something here. And you got to find a way to functionally offload that stuff mm-hmm. to whether in our in that case it was outsourced provider um, or bring somebody internal to actually make things happen. Correct. Uh, that tension is going to always be in place to the extent you want to grow a business. What was it, the, the E-Myth book yep. where it talks about- The three levels there, yeah, for sure. You want to work on your business, not just in your business. Yeah, I mean, almost every business owner will start off and put their own business. They are the, they've created themselves a job. They are the doer. They are the baker in the terms of the E-Myth. They're the one who's making the cake or cupcake or whatever. Um, at some point, they'll have an employee 
employee that they have to manage and they'll be a manager of that work. We talked about this earlier with, with our job here. When I first started, I hired my first employees. I would use the kind of logic they were helping me get my work done, not our work done. And that is the, the model of the, my mind. And that's a manager's mindset. This is still my work that I'm managing that somebody working underneath is helping me get my work done. Eventually you want to be the owner or the entrepreneur where you're working on the business, never in the business. You're no longer making cakes. You're creating the processes and procedures to make the cakes or the next hire that you have to hire or the how's our function or our marketing function going to happen or our accounting department or whatever that may be. And that is those each of those steps in the very beginning, you kind of wear all those three hats. You're the doer and the manager and the owner. Over time, you need to be start removing hats. And even today, we, we're in the same stage where we are constantly removing hat. We don't have a CFO here. We don't have a um, um, an IT person in house. We don't have. We recently hired. You know, we have a. We've had it added a marketing person in the last couple years now, year and a half. Before that, we outsourced it. Before that, we did it in house. And so, each of those things as we continue to grow, we continue to remove some of the hats from in house. Uh, our hat to an outsourced hat maybe, and then to a person in how and I are. And that that's just allows you to understand what each of the roles people have. We may, we have a, a person who's doing part-time recruiting now, and that's Caitlin. And she also is doing other, other responsibilities here. Eventually, that may be two separate people, you know, and then Mike has a role where he is operating as our, in theory, our payroll manager, but also as our chief operating officer. Yeah, I think we've always done a good job of, having our our mindset is, is growth we we want to grow we want to continue to grow but we want to do that in a way that's smart and not reckless and so we do that kind of in stages and so we'll bring somebody on and we'll get them trained up in their role and then we find that their skill set also has this component to it and so we'll give them some more responsibility there and that kind of turns into a slow transition over time and for some people that's frustrating but for us, it's, it's worked out really well because we've been able to grow at a pace and keep up with adding those different layers and taking hats off um, as as cash flow allows. Um, that's been that's that's been relatively successful for us. It has, and uh, you know, I think back, you know, we, you know, Becky is this person now, kind of going through this transition in our office, where we didn't have a role designed for, let's say, podcast production and our video and the work that we're doing now on the marketing efforts. But it was a role we needed filled by someone. We had a person in the house that had those skill sets, a really good skill set. Over time, it made us think that, well, there's more that can be done there. But we also have these other things that she is responsible for that need to get done by somebody else. And now we're slowly but surely hiring. We've just recently hired a couple new people to, to join our team. But they're going to take on roles that we didn't have before. We're actually going to split Becky's current role into three different roles. And so it is, it's kind of interesting to see as we continue to grow and develop what that looks like for each person. You know, I think that's happened to a lot of businesses. We've talked to other payroll firms before who have very segmented duties. We have accounting firms, you know, like us who have very segmented duties for, I have an accounting department and a payroll department and a tax department and a accounts payable department. And that's no different than even a corporate business, but every, every business has got to figure out which layers we're going to remove and who's going to do those jobs. You're kind of specializing more and more is kind of what it plays itself into. Every business though goes through this. If you're a, I think about a restaurant, you have a, you know, you may have a four or five line in the back of the house. And, and at some point at, at the end of the night, you're cutting those shifts back down to one or two people in the back of the house. They're still doing all the same work. And so if they need to make a salad, there's a salad that has to get made. If the, if the expo is gone, there's somebody going to have to prep the food to go out the door. 
all those same things have to happen. And so different, and they may happen on a daily basis there based on who's doing those roles, but it's still the same logic. Yeah, I would agree. And then the, you know, another, another issue that always pops up with small businesses is, you know, what, what about my customers? Where am I going to go get them? Where, how, how am I going to get customers? Mm -hmm. How am I going to get them to pay me for my services? How am I going to deliver on the services in a way that our customers actually appreciate it? Um, you know, running a small business is pretty easy without employees and customers. Uh, but it's not much of a small you business at that point. don't need money, you don't need any, uh, they need to get done, you're good. Yeah. Um, I, when, when you started your accounting firm, you would you were doing just about anything that somebody was willing to Any write a check for. type something near accounting that I could do, I would do. Tax return, only client, special project moving software from another software, converting accounting systems, monthly bookkeeping, payroll. I mean, we, one of our first clients was payroll client. I'd never done payroll before in my life. I'd come from <laughs> a big firm. We did income tax returns, and I remember going, hmm, I need to read this whole thing called Publication 15. That's the publication that tells you how to do payroll taxes. That tells you where I was at. And um, I figured it out, but I, I was not very efficient at it. Nor do we have the software, the systems, or, but somebody paid me to do that. Somebody work. paid you, yeah. Right. Um, I helped somebody convert 14 years, that same client actually, 14 years worth of books from, oh, we had to go back and kind of do a forensic audit on it almost. And I did that. I never did that work before, but they paid me a lot of money to do that work <laughs> and it needed to get done. And I thought I could do it. And you were well, the guy there. Yep. And it was profitable for us, but it, wasn't efficient. That was one of those things I think about is that is very easy to do when you are the doer. Yep. That is not easy to do when you are the leader of doers. Correct. It's easy for me to say, I think I can figure that out and I'll go do it. And if I'm really inefficient, I don't care because I'm going to end up building the client what it should have been billed regardless of how much time it took me to do it. You know, if you're making a piece of furniture and you've never made it before, and it's going to take you a really long time. If you have a system to do it and you have all the people and the parts and the tools, all the things you, you can get done really efficiently, you still made the same piece of furniture at the end of the day. Somebody's willing to pay the same amount of money for it. Yeah. Um, so it just depends on how you want to get to the you know, to the answer. With a system or a, a team of people doing the work, you have to have a very defined set of what you're going to sell and what you're not going to sell in order to be efficient at what you do. There's a lot of variances to that, but you know, there's sort of some offshoots of that work, but they all have to sit kind of in the same box. As you've grown and business has evolved, how has your ability to say no to work changed? Well, I'm not desperate to make my mortgage payment anymore. So it usually starts with that. Um, I know that I'm going to make my mortgage payment probably the next, you know, 25 years right now without any problem if I still have a mortgage payment. I hope I don't, but if I did, I, I think I'd make it. That being said, um, I'm able to say this is going to be super disruptive to our team now versus in the past going, I need that cash flow in the door to pay my team, which is a way different scenario. Like, yeah. hey, we need this money in here because this one-time fee is going to cover the next two payrolls and I'm going to be good. Or oh, crap, I don't have enough. I remember having to chase, you know, receivables down to make payroll in the very beginning. And I was like, this is this is not how this is supposed to work. So it's just, you know, cash flow became my my flexibility. When with cash, all things kind of get fixed. The problem, though, is as a small business owner, by chasing all those different types of services, you're actually not making more money. You're making less. 
um, the best book for this is Built to Sell. If you've never read Built to Sell, it's a perfect idea. It's about a marketing firm who's doing 15 different things, making a little bit of money in everything, but nothing great. They're not great at anything. They determined that they're really good at one thing, and that allowed them to systematize what they sell. And by doing that, you know, it allowed them to understand how to price it and to be uh, more efficient doing the work, how to sell it, how to market it. You become really targeted. And I think that's the same as, you know, if, um, my cousin's a, a guy, a handyman. He does a lot of different things. He's really good at, like, doors and windows. He knows that stuff inside out. If he was smart, that's all he would do. He would say, yeah. I'm going to find every door and window job I can find in a 300-mile area to go hire the right people who I can train to do doors and windows really, really well. And over time, I'd be thrown as the window and door guy. But now he does fences and rebuilds office buildings and uh, does doors and windows and, you know, he'll do a painting job if he needs to or a drywall job. And those are all great. He makes money on it. But he could be the best at doors and windows. It takes a lot of discipline to say, no, I'm not going to do that, even though you're willing to pay me money. Because that's not what I do or that's not what I want to do. That's not what I specialize in. There's a fear that, that has to come with that of saying, you know what, I'm going to say no right now. And it's not because I have something else on the table, but I think that something else is going to be on the table that's more in my wheelhouse. But th there's a level of growth that comes with that so discipline. hard to do. And, and we run into that same problem. You know, we have a defined client profile that we best serve. And it, the hard part is that client may come in at that profile and outgrow us. They could shrink. They could go off on a tangent and buy a separate business that's not in our wheelhouse. Um, we've had a couple clients over the years that we had to counsel out the door with the intent of, they're too big for us. We can't serve them well at this point, and they 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 take two of my resources, and it's not cost efficient for them anymore. And that is a hard thing for us to swallow because that's a big client of ours at that point. But at the same time, we're not best serving them. That's very it's it's a hard challenge. But that discipline is ultimately going to lead to hopefully better growth, as you chisel off some of the things that are kind of bogging you down and keeping you distracted away from really focusing in on what you do best and really what's probably most profitable for you overall, you chisel that stuff away and it makes you more efficient with the things that you are going to do well. And as you define that and you come up with that, what we call a client profile, that ideal customer, um, all your efforts could be after chasing that one thing. What the, the biggest limitation for every leader out there is the exact same. It's time. And if I'm spending all of my time chasing things that aren't necessarily the perfect fit for me, that's me saying no to things that I otherwise should be working on. Um, and that's true, you know, if you're trying to build a business, it's true if you're, you know, in parenting, it's true. Yep. And spending time in with your family, life, working out every the trade-offs, the trade-offs and opportunity cost you have of not doing what you should be doing. If I'm not working out, which I'm not, I mean, <laughs> I'm doing something else that I probably shouldn't be doing in instead of working out. If I'm spending my gym time at McDonald's, I'm going to get answer. a bad answer. Yeah. Correct. If I'm spending my McDonald's time at the gym, I, 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 I'm not going to enjoy the hamburger as well. So That's it right. depends, right? That's right. So everything's a trade-off. Now, as a small business owner, the, the problems that people rely on, though, is we start chasing dollars. It is hard. I mean, it's hard balance between perfection. You don't have a necessarily a perfect client you have an ideal client that is close to those fringes you want to try to find as many of those people as possible yeah what are the, and we've done a decent job of defining that where mm -hmm. we've gotten out of line is when we try to squeeze profile or squeeze a client 
into that profile that like start shouldn't making have the been. case that they are an ideal client when we know they're not. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, that's the that's that's a hard and, thing. Or you don't have all the facts yet to know that they're not going to be an ideal client. You think they're going to be an ideal client when you get them like, oh nope, this is bad. I got to get out. Yeah, and as soon as you realize that, the quicker you can cut bait, the better off. Yeah, you're I mean be. it's hard. I mean people have made decisions. We've developed relationships. We've been doing the work. Whereas alternative, you don't want to leave them hanging. There's all kinds of reasons why, but they may not be. They're just not profitable for us to do the work yeah. or. They're not the type of work that we can do really, really well and really help the client best. Our yeah. job is to make them be successful. We're not able to make them be successful, then it's probably not worth doing. Yeah, if I can't help you, correct. then what am I doing? Correct. I'm only wasting your time, um, and you're going to waste your dollars with me. Correct. And while cashing that check is fun, it's not. that doesn't meet our long-term goals. Correct. Um, and, and that's just it's just part of, part of learning and growing. You know, one of the things I think about as uh, if you're leading a, a small business – then ultimately you have to, at some level, develop your leadership skills. Discipline is a is a big one of those. You have to be able to develop your discipline to, to say no to the the wrong things and say yes to the right things. And you can't do one without the other. Um, and so, you know, finding places to go and 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 hone those skills. Growth only happens when, uh, you know, through through some tension. And if you don't have that tension, if you're not living in, in some tension in your, in your life, then you're not ever going to be able to grow. Otherwise you're just going to become stagnant doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, and that's just not fun. <laughs> no. I and mean, you mentioned earlier the idea of like finding, you know, growing a business and you know, what's the hard part there of, you know, finding customers. I think the hardest part is defining who your ideal customer is. And once you do that and you can prove that that's the ideal customer, that allows you to kind of be really targeted in your marketing efforts and your um, education efforts and your operational procedures are tied to that best customer. It allows you to have that whole, um, have a very clear vision of where you're going. I know that one of the one of the most joyous parts of my job is when I can sit back and watch that ideal customer come in our front door, go through our entire sales process, hand off to operations get onboarded successfully. They go through the process of, of tire. We convert a lot of stuff, um, whether it's accounting, books, payroll, whatever, into our systems. We train them on those systems. They're up and running and are more successful because of it. When I could sit back and watch, because there's multiple uh, examples in that in our company where we could see that entire timeline. And at the very end, they're singing praises about how good of a job we did when the reality is all we did was help them stay a little bit more organized, keep them on their path. Right. And um, I mean, they're, they're the successor successful people. We just helped guide them on, on the way. That's, that's just a lot of that's fun. That's the ideal story, right? And that, that is starts, the ideal story. That all started though, because we had that ideal customer get into our funnel somehow. And then all the way through to where they're happy and, and, and everything is good. Now, I wouldn't mind – that's an interesting stat. I'd like to see what that looks like over the last couple of years' ads, just to see what that looks like, to see how many we've done in an ideal process versus who got off the rails. Yeah. We've done a better job of bringing in – and Shelby's done a phenomenal job of, of keeping us in our guardrails of not chasing stuff that we shouldn't be chasing. Um, you know, we're in, we're in a, a fortunate position right now that what our, our lead time for, for new client work – is uh is about four weeks just simply because we, we're doing a lot of work and yep. there's a lot of people that are uh are, are i don't they're wanting to work with us because we're honestly doing a good job of helping our customers win yep. and uh um, that's turned into a good problem to have which is we got people 
we have a couple, up to work with. We us. have some bottleneck, though, at the onboarding stage when that happens, which yeah. is fine. We just have to kind of now working on improving that. We're training new no folks and putting people in new roles, and that stuff's all working great. But it is it is allowing us to see that this is you know systematizable, and it's allowing it's allowing us to be better honed in with our ideal profile to when we realize, which you don't always get to do, but when you do realize this isn't going to be a good fit, we're not going to be, we're not going to help you in the way that you think we are. Um, it's better for you to work with another mm-hmm. accounting firm or payroll company than uh, it's ultimately going to pay dividends down the road and keep that flywheel turning uh, to, to the success that we're having here at Patrick Accounting and Works. And it's fun to be part of that too. Yep, yep. Good people solve all problems uh, uh, in a business. Good people solve a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of problems for sure. It fixes a lot of things that you had broken. We got some good people and some we good seats. We're very lucky um, <laughs> to have people we have for sure. Yeah. Well, if you guys are out there listening and, and you know, you're a small business leader of some kind and you have some problems that you want us to discuss or, or focus on, um, let us know. Send, send me an email at one step better at patrickaccounting.com or um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, are we on TikTok yet? I don't know. Uh, Matt, Matt, you could you could probably find Matt on TikTok. I'm on TikTok behind my daughter's laughing at them usually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so drop us a line on wherever you're finding us. Um, if you're if you're on our podcast, we would love for you to click that subscribe button, whether Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you're listening to our podcast or YouTube, you can send us a comment. Um, I promise you, Becky reads every single one of those comments. Um, she lets us know exactly the questions that are coming in. We can reply to you as, as soon as we know it. She's on top of that pretty well. Um, and so if you're out there listening, leave us a comment just to see if Becky, how quick Becky will get back to you. Test her out on this. It'll be fun. Uh, so I really appreciate you guys listening and, uh, Hope you have a great day.